All right. So we're going to be in chapter 9, and unlike what we've done in the past few weeks, we're not going to go through the entire chapter. Uh, this is actually a, a, a fairly difficult uh, section that we're in, in Revelation, and the reason is, is because it, this, this one trumpet lasts a few chapters, and so I, I don't want to try to stretch out one trumpet in one sermon and have to go through, you know, 150 verses. Uh, you don't want me to do that, and I don't want to do that, and I've been smelling food since I've got here this morning um, that for our anniversary lunch, and, and I am uh, excited about munching on that. And so I, uh, we're going to walk through basically uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 9, and we're going to go through the fifth trumpet. So what we've been doing, I want to share this with those who haven't been here, because if you haven't been here, then I'll be honest with you, it will... I, I, it will be difficult to understand what we're doing, the way we're interpreting Revelation. And so I just want to give a, just a recap on that real quick in like two or three minutes. There are many individuals that when they read Revelation, they in, interpret it as a fully futuristic letter that was written to John, revealed by Christ to John through an angel, and that it's completely futuristic so that everything that you read here is going to happen in the future, it's not happening now, and that we should take it fairly literally so that when we think of mountains crashing into the sea, when we think of locusts being released, when we think of horses riding out through the sky, that we should take every bit of that literally and come to expect these kind of like, you know, uh, horrific, terrifying locusts with lion's teeth and a woman's face. I think it's funny that it has a woman's face. Anyway, um, so, so, no, any, it actually has a human face, but we'll, go, we'll get to that. Okay, but the idea is, okay, that we take all that literally, okay? And so that's one way of viewing that. The problem is, is that that is not how the original audience would have read this letter. They would not have understood this letter to be so far off. Now, it would have been... It would have been, they would have understood that some of it hasn't happened yet. And to an extent, there is some of this it's, that has yet to happen, all right, in its fullness. But as this is being revealed to the churches by John, he's writing to them directly. I mean, he mentions churches that existed in the first century. And so as they read this, it, John's not saying, now, you all don't have to worry about this because you'll be dead and gone before the locusts come. No, the stuff that he's talking about in this letter is happening right now. It's happening in this time. And so here's how I am interpreting this text. And this is why strategy matters, okay? Is that the, the, the revelation is apocalyptic literature, meaning lots of symbols. It is prophetic, meaning future. And it's also an epistolatory uh, writing, meaning it's a letter. It's all three of those. But I tend to weigh more on the side of apocalyptic, which means that much of what Revelation has is not literal. We've got to see through the symbols that, that, is, that is revealed to John so that we understand what the audience would have understood in that day, okay? So when the audience hears, which we're going to be talking today about, locusts, that sting humans but don't affect the land, and they sting like a scorpion, we hear that and think of some sort of Halloween movie. 
they hear that and they remember passages in Exodus and they remember passages in Joel and they remember how Jewish writers and the Jewish heritage talk about scorpions and that often scorpions are metaphors for other things. That's how they would have understood that. We'll talk more about that. But what I want you to understand is that what we're getting into today is highly symbolic. The other thing I want you to remember is that oftentimes, even if you've not really been in church a whole lot, or if you've not read Revelation, or if you've not watched or, or read the Left Behind series, that you've heard of the Great Tribulation. And likely, if you've been in a Baptist church much, all right, or an evangelical church, you've heard that the Great Tribulation is seven years long, there's going to be a break halfway through, the church will be taken away in the rapture, and all of those things. And what I've shared with you is that is likely not true. There is a great tribulation, but it's not specifically seven years long, and that there's no rapture that's going to relieve the church from the great tribulation. What we've talked about is that we are right now in the midst of the great tribulation. It started at the resurrection of Christ, and it will conclude at the second coming. And everything that we're reading now, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, are all symbolic descriptions of that tribulation that is occurring. Now, will it increase in intensity? Absolutely. It will increase in intensity. And so when it talks about earthquakes, when it talks about uh, mountains being thrown into the sea, when it talks about uh, locusts and all these things, all these things that these things represent are, have happened, are happening, and will continue to happen, but they will increase in intensity as we head towards the day of Christ. And here's one of the main reasons why I don't believe that we should pull out a calendar and try to calculate the exact day of all these events. Is that even in the Gospels, Christ himself said that only God knows the hour. So it doesn't make sense that we should be able to calculate an exact date. You remember all those books that were on the bookshelves? that says 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 1988. Those used to be in the Christian theology section. Now they're part of the Christian fiction section. Because it didn't happen. And all that does is undermines the faith. So how should we look at this? As I've said before, Revelation is written, first and foremost, to a present-day audience of John. But also intended for those believers who would be in the future, who would be enduring similar things, and to realize this, even in the midst of this tribulation that you are enduring, Christ is still sustaining this word by the word of his power. God is still in control. Whatever you are dealing with in your life right now, you need to know that it is not accidental. God is not looking down and looking at your challenges, your tribulation, whatever it might be, even your sin, and saying, oops, I didn't realize that was going to happen. That's not our God. God knows, He understands, and He's still in control of 
everything. Everything. Now, I will say this as I begin. If tomorrow a massive pit opens up in Versailles and a stream of locusts wearing crowns with lion's teeth and armor come flying out and start zapping all the unbelievers and causing pain for five months, if that happens tomorrow, then I'm sorry, I repent. Okay? But I don't think that's what we're going to experience. So let's get into what I think that we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to start reading Revelation chapter 9. I'm going to go ahead and read all 11 verses, and then we're going to break it down into three major points. Starting in verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, which would be the fifth trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given the power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any of the green plant or tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee them, flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were, like, were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. and Their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing in the battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months in their tails. And they have as their king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Okay. Now that sounds like a good script for Hollywood. But to them it's probably almost too unbelievable even for them. And there's some unbelievable stuff on TV, folks. All right. So let's, let's dive in here, and let's look at the first two verses. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to explain what's going on here, and then at the end I'm going to apply it again. Okay? And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star from heaven. Uh, uh, st- I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Okay, let's stop right there and just mention this. Okay? What is this star falling from heaven, first of all? And what is this shaft of the bottomless pit? Now, there are some that believe that this star falling from heaven is a demon. It is an evil angel. Because we think of stars, which often represent angels in Scripture, in ancient literature, that this angel has fallen from heaven and that it's demonic, it's evil, it's something of that nature. Okay? Some also believe that this star represents Satan, that it's Satan falling from heaven. 
okay? Because in uh, Old Testament texts, especially like Isaiah, it talks about this like morning star that has fallen and that it represents, you know, Satan coming down, even though that there's a poor interpretation of those passages in Isaiah. That's what some people believe this to be. Commentators, conservative commentators disagree over this, over what this means. However, it is likely based upon context, based upon the rest of Scripture, and especially the immediate Scripture in Revelation, that oftentimes when authority is given, to see some authority has been given to this star that has fallen, right? And they are now going to be doing the will of God, if you will. Usually in Scripture, and especially in Revelation, a star coming down to earth is an angel, and this is likely not an evil angel. This is an angel that has been assigned, been given authority in order to do the will of God here. And in this case, this angel has been given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Now, what is this bottomless pit? we got to explain all this so, so we'll understand this. Now, if you've been watching that new show, I don't know if any, how many of you all been watching the show La Brea? Anybody? Okay, there we go. Okay, we had a couple. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I'm very disappointed in that show, okay? But I'm probably going to keep watching because it's TV. But anyway, okay, what happens? There's a big old, like, seemingly bottomless pit or sinkhole that opens up, all right, into the earth, and all these people fall in, and I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story because you may have not seen it yet. Okay, so stuff happens after that. Well, that's what this sounds like, is this massive pit has kind of opened up, right? And this angel has been given a key over that. Now, this resembles something in Joel chapter 2, verse 10, and we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. But this pit oftentimes is thought of as hell, okay, is that this pit is hell and that this angel has the key to hell and that something is going to be coming out of hell to wreak havoc over the earth during the tribulation. Now, that's one way of interpreting this, and this is the way many, especially in the 60s and 70s and 80s, have interpreted it. And still today, you will find individuals interpreting this text that way, that there will be a literal pit, there is a literal evil angel that oversees this pit, and literal locusts are going to fly out of this pit. I don't believe that's how Jesus intends to convey this message to John or the churches or to us. Because the early audiences wouldn't have understood it that way. That wouldn't have made perfect sense to them. But a pit oftentimes resembles an abyss, sort of like a chaotic ocean. And so these pits that would open this bottomless pit, it has this imagery of mystery and chaos and darkness and evil. That's likely what's being conveyed here is that there is going to be this, this angel, okay, there is an angel that has authority over this, this chaos that is, that is surrounding the earth. And I think if I went around the room and asked all of you, does evil exist? I think the majority of you would raise your hand and said, yes, evil exists. I've seen it. I've seen evil exist. I've talked to Miss Toya many times about, I know that Miss Toya has seen or read about just evil things happening, right? And your work is so, in social work, right? Uh, Melvin, in his law enforcement, you've seen evil at work in individuals, right? We see it on the news almost every day. We pop on the news and we see evil people doing evil, horrible things. Things that we can't imagine doing. That's what this bottomless pit 
represents. Meaning that there is a time, okay, during this great tribulation where evil is going to persist during this time. But don't you know that a key has been given to this angel, all right, who has authority over this, okay? Meaning that it's not reigning completely free as if it's going to do whatever it wants, that there's control over it. There is limited power by anything coming out of that pit, all right? It doesn't have free reign. The only individual who has free reign, I should say individuals, who have free reign, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everything else is under their sovereign will. So this bottomless pit is likely this this evil, this darkness, and also judgment that's coming on the earth. And so God is using this evil as judgment against unbelievers. And who are the unbelievers? Those are those who have not trusted Christ as their Savior, to put it bluntly. They are those who are not sealed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 2, he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from that shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft. And now all of us are looking for smoke coming out of the ground, and we're looking for the, the, the moon and the stars and the sun and all that to change colors and everything. But let's read what Joel chapter 2, verse 10 says. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are tr- darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. That's just an example of texts from the Old Testament that depict this kind of imagery. That's what John is is envisioning here, and that's what Jesus is revealing, is that that stuff that's happening in Exodus, in Ezekiel, in Isaiah, in Joel, in Daniel, those are types of things that are going to happen and that are happening. Folks, none of us in here would deny that there is brokenness in this world that we we have to somehow carve a path through as believers. And sometimes... We get drilled by it as well. So all of this is representing the judgment of God on unbelievers. Let's keep on moving to verses uh, 3 through 6. And I call this a demonic influence. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green plant, or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So we got a few things that we need to talk about here. First of all, who are these locusts attacking? They're attacking individuals who are not sealed by God, okay? That don't have a seal on the forehead. Now, what we talked about in previous weeks is that this is not a literal seal on the forehead, like a stamp. I remember there was one day several years ago, I may have mentioned this in here, it was a Wednesday, and I went to class. This was before I was well-versed in religious culture and things like that. This young woman was there. She came in. I knew her. I knew her, and she came in, and she had this black cross 
dusted on her forehead. And I started freaking out. I was like, the seal of God has been making its rounds and I don't have one. Where do I get one of those things? Folks, it was Ash Wednesday. All right. So, you know, basically all the Catholic folks had this cross painted on their forehead. I'm like, where's mine? I want mine. About 10 years later, my anxiety came down, and I knew that I wasn't left behind somewhere. I mean, I, folks, I, I, I kid you not, I, I, this sounds silly, but I was like looking around for like empty clothes, all right? Like somebody is without their underwear around here, okay? They have dropped them, and the Lord has taken them up. Guys, you know exactly what I mean, because you'll go to the grocery store, you lose your wife, and you're looking for her clothes on the ground, thinking that you got left behind, okay? Just saying. All right. But in all seriousness, you know, I mean, that's what we worry about, right? It's not a literal sign. What it's talking about is that it is a seal of God and that it is obvious that that person is sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's evident, okay? And these individuals are going to be protected by God from these locusts, okay? Now, the locusts, they rise from the same place as the smoke. And this is intended to imply that these locusts, and I put that in quote, are meant for the judgment and that they are nefarious in nature. These are not good locusts, all right? These aren't locusts that we should be celebrate coming, okay? But they are being used by God for judgment against unbelievers. And at the same time, while these locusts are evil and that their king is, is called Apollyon, which means destructor in the Greek, we see that God is sovereign over this. These locusts are not coming out, and God's like, oh my gosh, give me my divine fly swatter so I can whack these locusts. This is all directed by God. This is all part of the tribulation. This is all part of that fifth trumpet. This is all part of God's plan, these locusts. And again, I put locusts in quotes. But there's something different about these locusts. Now, you all will remember that in Exodus... In those first you know, few chapters of Exodus, that Moses, when he goes to the Pharaoh to say, let my people go, all right, there are these ten plagues. And one of them is what? They're locusts. And what do the locusts do? Locusts in Exodus do what locusts do. They eat plants. They eat trees. They eat stuff. They eat roughage, right? And what they do? They caused... Uh, torment for individuals, not physical, but because they didn't, they were eating all their crops. So the locusts were destroying everything around them in that chapter. That's not what these locusts are doing. So these locusts that are mentioned in Revelation are acting completely different than locusts that the people would have understood. The people in the first century would not have read this and said, oh yeah, those are just like my locusts, they're just a little meaner. They would have said, something else is going on here. Something else is going on here. Because these locusts are not eating any type of plant. They are physically harming individuals. They're stinging them like scorpions. And I already told you that scorpions were intended to be metaphorical oftentimes and symbolic for other things, especially a sharp tongue. Okay? So at the very least... These creatures are coming out and they are only intended to torment those who are not sealed or they are tormenting unbelievers. They're tormenting people who have not trusted Christ. Why is that? And how would they know? I mean, they're locusts, right? But this torment doesn't last forever. 
It says it lasts for five months. Now, that's real specific, right? Lasts for five months. What this means is, is that it's not going to last forever. It is temporary. What is happening is temporary. And they are influencing, they are tormenting an unbelieving world. And it's worse than death. It's worse than death. Because they're looking for death and they can't find it. They're looking for death and they can't find it. Let's keep on going and talk a little bit more about these locusts. And I call this, so this was a demonic influence. You might understand where I'm kind of going here. Now let's talk about a demonic presence. Now I know that it's popular, especially today, even in the church, to say that Satan and hell and demons are not real, that they're all metaphors or they're all symbols. But folks, I don't believe that. I believe that hell is real. I believe that Satan is real. And I believe that demons are real. And I believe that they can have influence. And I, can, I believe that they can have destruction. And they can have torment. Those are real things. I know that that's not a popular thing to believe. And folks, I'm a scientist. It's really not popular for somebody like me to say that, that I believe that. But I do. I do. Just like I believe that there are only certain things that could be done that only God could have done certain things. There are certain things that are accomplished. I'm like, I don't, I don't know that anybody would have done that outside of being just influenced by a demonic presence. But then I may give too much credit away from, to, to individuals. Verse 7, in appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails like the scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And they have a, as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon, which means, this isn't on here, which means destroyer. Okay? It means destroyer. In the, in the Hebrew, Abaddon means destruction. And so at, at, at the very least, we know that destruction is ensuing. Okay? Now, here's what I believe is going on here. And this is what other commentators believe. And I've read many different commentaries on this trying to figure this out. And so I'm trying to kind of piece this together. Okay? There are some that believe that these are literal locusts that are going to pop out of the ground and start stinging unbelievers. Okay, and the torment's going to last. That very well could be the case. I will readily admit that our, our knowledge of this is limited. But based upon context, based upon historical evidence, based upon the letter that's being written here, it is likely that these locusts, because of everything I've already talked about, are a symbol for demonic influence in the world. Okay? It's, it's, a, it's the presence of Satan and his minions in the world in the time between the resurrection and the second coming and that they are having influence on the world, but specifically unbelievers. Now, why unbelievers? We've talked about this in here, that based upon Scripture, Christians cannot be inhabited by a demon. They can't be. 
They can be impacted by a demon. We had an entire lesson series on angels and demons, all right, a few months ago on Wednesday night. So we've talked all that. I'm not going to rehash it. But based upon that lesson and that instruction and those pieces of Scripture, what we have deduced is that demons cannot inhabit a Christian. That if you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is residing in you, that there cannot be a demon that's going to take up cohabitation, all right? The, a demon's not going to cohabit with the with Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit ain't having none of that. The Holy Spirit is not going to share dominion over your life with a demon. It's not going to happen. If you are possessed by the Holy Spirit, you will not be possessed by a demon. It won't happen. Now you say, you say, well, I've seen Christians, and they were possessed by a demon. I will answer that in one of two ways. Number one, they weren't really possessed. They were just acting crazy. Because, folks, let's give people credit. We can act nuts. Am I lying about that? There are some lunatics in the world, and some of them are Christians. All right? There are some Christians... And I'm like, that I've been around, I'm like, I, I think they're a believer, but I don't want to hang out with them. I don't want them, I, don't, I do not want to hang out with them. I do not know what road I'm going to go down if I hang out with them, because they're nuts. All right? Or they're not really Christians. A demon is not going to cohabitate in a human with the Holy Spirit. Can a demon impact a Christian? Yes. Yes. Can they affect the life of a Christian? Yes. They can. Can they inhabit or can they influence in the way that we see demons working in the New Testament? Absolutely not. Oftentimes what we see in the New Testament is that when a demon is cast out by the name of Christ, what happens? That that individual ends up turning to Christ. Because the Holy Spirit isn't going to cohabitate with a demon. So it's likely, not a certainty, that these locusts are symbolic for dynamic, dynamic, demonic I'm sorry, activity against the unbelieving world. Because the unbelieving world is susceptible to demons. They're susceptible. And some of you are thinking, he's crazy. He is crazy. This is total fiction. And that's fine. If, if, that's, if that's the way you read it, that's fine. But what I'm going to tell you is that I read it, I believe it, and I don't pick and choose what I believe out of Scripture. It's either all God's Word or it's not any of God's Word. And God's Word says that demons are real. In the ancient Jewish world, scorpions were at times considered worse than snakes. And there were about eight scorpions, I believe, in this area at that time, and people were terrified of them. And where, did they, where were they often residing? In crevices? in holes, in dung holes, in all these places that were holes. And where are these scorpions arising from? A bottomless pit. Sounds odd, right? That makes sense. They were used as metaphors for biting words or for evil. And they brought terror to these inhabitants. And in addition, these locusts that we see in, in real life, they always attack, what do they attack? Plants. 
That's what they're eating. That's what they're ingesting, right? They're not attacking you and I. When the locusts were here this past year, I was not afraid of the locusts, all right? I, I, I was actually kind of excited to see them. I was like, I hadn't seen them in 17 years or however long it was, right? I hadn't seen them in a while. I'd kind of like to see them, right? I didn't see one. I didn't see one locust. I wasn't blessed with that delight, all right? But I didn't get to see any of them. Some people said they were just a racket, all right? They heard them everywhere. But locusts attack plants and trees. These didn't, which makes absolutely no sense if they were real locusts. And so obviously something else is happening here. So the locusts who attack people wouldn't make sense to first century audiences. And the appearance of these locusts screams symbolism as well. Human faces give a demonic feel. The lion's teeth imply ferocity, but also represent Babylon. If you read Daniel, all right, the lion imagery is this imagery of like Babylon as well. The uh, Satan roams like a roaring lion for those to devour. And the iron breastplates sound like Rome. And it sounds like all these individuals that have been commonplace to attack God's people, right? And so there are these forces. The sounds of wings like chariots likely represent the fact that these horde of demons are bent on war, all right? These demons are at war, and they're at war with Christ, and you are who they are fighting for. They are trying to wreck you. They are trying to distract you. They are trying to lead you astray, And anyone not protected by the Holy Spirit is at risk. And finally, locusts don't really have a king, do they? It's not like there's a king locust. It's not like a queen bee, all right? Actually, entomologists may say that there really are like, you know, a queen locust or a king locust. I don't know if that's the case, but that's not what John's talking about here, all right? In the scripture here, it says that their king is also king in this area and that his name is Apollyon, right? Now, many individuals believe that this is Satan, that Satan is over these locusts. However, the locusts are under the sovereign will of God. It is likely that this Apollyon is also a metaphorical figure representing destruction. So what is the whole point of this? It's that God in this fifth trumpet intends to release judgment on the earth using as his pawns these demonic forces to affect unbelievers to impact unbelievers, and they are bent on destruction. And who's going to be protected? Believers. Why? Because God is our refuge. God is our refuge. And so that's where I want to get to the application of this. It is oftentimes in the Christian life where we forget that God is on our side. It's almost as if we trust Christ and then we forget Christ, all right? We trust Christ for our salvation, but then we try to do everything else on our own. We try to protect ourselves, we try to serve ourselves, and in a sense, we try to save ourselves. But folks, you couldn't save your soul in the beginning, you're not going to save it in the end either. Christ is either your refuge at all times or he's not your refuge at all. We lean on Christ in all things. Listen to Psalm 46. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Does that sound familiar? Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. His utter, he utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Who is it? that can give you refuge in time of trouble. It's not your spouse. It is God. Who is your refuge when challenges rise? It's not your family. It is God and God alone. Who is your refuge when financial wreck happens in your life? It is not your job. It is not your bank. And it's not your 401k. It is God and God alone. You can have the, as much money in the world as the money can provide and you can still be lost and dying because God alone is your refuge. God alone is your salvation. When we read Revelation and hear about these horrible locusts and think to ourselves that nothing could be worse than the physical torment of these creatures for five months, this is what we might take away from this passage if we don't know and trust Scripture in its fullness. We might be thinking that Revelation is primarily just a Halloween flick. And certainly the torment that is described in Revelation is horrendous. It will be horrendous. And it will be worse than Exodus. But I want you to hear me very clearly on this. If you didn't hear anything else, Many of us believe that physical pain and physical torment is the worst thing you could possibly endure. There are some who spend their entire life trying to avoid physical pain. Physical pain and physical torment is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Spiritual torment is. Spiritual pain is. Those locusts in Exodus, those frogs, Christy, in Exodus, the blood in the river in Exodus, those are real. The deaths from the final plague in Exodus, real. And they are still not worse than what is to come for those who have not trusted Christ. Because there is nothing worse than spiritual death. Nothing worse. Everybody's trying to avoid physical death, but no one thinks of spiritual death. Physical death is but a moment. Spiritual death is for eternity. Trust 
Christ with your life. Because God does protect us from these demonic, these demonic influences and torment. And during this time when Satan has been given room to roam, God is protecting his people. This doesn't mean we don't feel the impacts of Satan or his demonic army, but, we can't, but they cannot hold sway over us. They can have no control over us. For the Christian, the phrase, Satan made me do it, is a lie. Let me be very clear. If you are a believer this morning and you sin, you commit sin, and you say, Satan made me do it, he did not make you do it. Because Satan has no hold over you if you are in Christ. If you are a Christian this morning and you sin, that wasn't Satan, that was you. So repent and believe. Because nothing can separate the Christian from God after they've been saved and sealed. These demonic locusts may be metaphorical, but evil is not. Satan is not. Demons are not. They are strong and they are terrible. But God is stronger still. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This morning, as I close, you may say that the most important thing in your life is that I be happy. You may say the most important thing in life is that I find success. If you were a parent this morning, you may say that the most important thing for my child, the only thing I care about is that he's healthy and happy or that she's healthy and happy. Folks, you can be healthy and happy and still be on the road to hell. There are a lot of individuals that die healthy and happy. And they don't see Christ. Let us, let us weigh what is in front of us. Are we more concerned what's happening in this temporary life? And that we are taking refuge in things that are temporary and that ultimately have no power? Or are we giving our lives solely over to Christ? Even if... We have to sacrifice our wealth, maybe even our health, knowing that Christ is our refuge, He is our fortress, and that we will be spending eternity with Him. We need to weigh these things in everything that we do. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day we thank you for every day lord and we ask that you would be with us as we close here lord as we sing as we respond to your word and lord i pray that we would weigh what is in front of us and that we would give our lives completely to christ lord help us not to allow Satan to have any hold on us. 
Help us to commit our lives solely to him, to Christ, and Christ alone. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.